and welcome to Reg Tech Roundup, the Canadian Reg Tech Association's podcast. My name is Donna Bales, and I'm the founder of the Canadian Reg Tech Association and the host of today's podcast. For those of you who do not know the Canadian Reg Tech Association, we're a not-for-profit focused on bringing regulatory bodies, financial institutions, and reg tech firms together to address common challenges through collaborative efforts. As part of our ESG series, today I'm speaking with AJ Jindal, Executive Vice President at Decimal Point Analytics. AJ has been with the organization since 2020 and is the lead solution architect for Decimal Point Analytics ESG practice. He authored a recent publication, Canada's ESG Review 2023, which delves primarily into asset management, but also takes stock of the corporate and government sector. He looks at the most pressing issues facing investment management, particularly net zero and climate goals. This report provides some comparable data across jurisdictions and some insightful data and trends showing the divergence in Canada between a growing asset management space with assets under management at approximately 3 trillion and the actual progress in the real economy in achieving net zero goals. Now to today's podcast. Welcome, AJ. To start us off, can you highlight in your own words some of the key findings in this paper? In a a nutshell, uh, I'll just speak of a couple of uh, headline issues that we talked about. One is that we found the Canadian managed asset sector is among the global leaders in ESG focus. On the flip side, in the real economy, We think there is a much greater scope for action on climate focus. At the macro level, Canada is the largest emitter amongst global economies on a per capita basis. Also, the corporate sector in Canada lacks large global economies on net zero focus. That's the sobering news. But on the positive side, on the social factors, the scorecard looks quite reasonable. So those are some of the headline issues that we have to talk about. Perfect. So that, that kind of gives us the headline of the the paper. But let's talk a little bit deeper into the asset management space and how it fa- fares well. What are the specific findings there? So we, we uh, found that Canadian funds have been early adopters uh, of the responsible investment or the RI movement. To quantify this, well, one metric we can look at is the number of Canadian funds that are signatories to the UNPRI, United Nations Principles for Responsible Investment. We found that 228 Canadian funds are signatories, ranking Canada fifth amongst all countries globally. So this is an outperformance because Canada's global GDP rank is ninth. Another data point is comes from the 2022 Canadian Responsible Investment Report, which is prepared by Responsible Investment Association of Canada. This specs the size of AUM classified as RI investments at three trillion dollars on uh, December 21st, uh, 31st December 2021. This figure makes Canada's ratio of sustainable assets to total manage- managed assets amongst the highest in the world. So mm-hmm. these two are really positive uh, data points. So there's definitely an interest by the investor um, in ESG investments. It is just concerning that the real economy lags. Can you share a little bit more about your findings there? Uh, some more, some data points on, on, on this particular issue. So one metric we use to assess net zero, uh, net zero efforts by Canadian companies 
is to see how many of these companies are working with SPTI, which is the Science-Based uh, Targets Initiative. We found that only 79 Canadian companies had approached SPTI for target validation as of July 23. This is a low number compared to size of Canada's corporate sector. To put this into further context, we ranked countries based on the number of their companies working with SPTI. Canada comes to lowly 18th here, which is well below its global GDP rank, which we mentioned it's like the ninth largest GDP in the world. Several smaller economies like Finland, Belgium, Spain, Denmark, they're well ahead of Canada in terms of number of companies working with SPTI for their net zero targets. We checked the net zero alignment status of companies in TSX 60, which is a popular index of the Toronto Stock Exchange. Only six of these companies have a net zero target aligned to 1.5 degrees as validated by SPTI. Another two are aligned to the less than two, two degree trajectory. So overall, this is less than 15% of companies which have any kind of validated alignment. And these numbers are once again lower than comparable countries. Yeah, I mean, so this indicates a lot of scope for companies to do more. Yeah, for sure. And one would think after the summer we've had with all the forest fires and uh, climate events that maybe we'll, we'll see a bit more action, hopefully going forward. What are some of the reasons that the Canadian companies are struggling to reach climate targets? You know, we are a well-developed economy. Like we, you know, one would think that this is something that our companies would care about and be focused on. Yeah, true. Uh, but that's where the difference between North America and Europe comes in. Both Canada and US, they have been uh, lagging Europe in uh, climate focus, which in both cases is due to lack of comp compulsory disclosure regime. So in Canada, for example, guidances by CSA exist, but these have been in the nature of advisories, not mandates. So for example, SN51338, which is the staff notice on reporting of climate change related risks, which was issued on August 19, says, as part of a materiality assessment, issuers should not only consider the existence of material climate change related risks, but also where practicable, quantify and disclose the potential financial and other impacts of such risks, including the magnitude and timing. As far as guidances go, it's a very good guidance, but as it can be seen, it's not mandatory. And seen everywhere where there's no mandate to report a metric, the focus on improving it generally is weak. And this is what we're seeing in Canada. And we see that in USA. We have cited some other data from uh, some recent documents. So one recent study showed that less than 25% of companies have issued a TCFD report. And barely 50% of companies are reporting meaningful, meaningful data on ESG KPIs. So overall reporting is less, and which perhaps uh, corollary, the focus is less. Yeah, which you wonder if the impact for investors, right? Like here you've got an investor landscape that is very interested in ESG, um, and yet they're not in a situation to have reliable information to make investment decisions. So that, I mean, there's a real kind of... <laughs> Uh, kind of bridge, I would say, between supply and demand, almost like you know, kind of taking it back to an economics um, kind of analogy. But it did look better in your paper in terms of social. So what what did your data tell you in terms of the, the social parameters? Yeah, so social data is uh, certainly looking good. Uh, one thing was represent representation of women 
seems to be good in the corporate sector, particularly at senior levels. So data from 30% Club Canada suggests that around, around a third of directors of TSX composite companies are women. Uh, it also shows that there is a healthy women representation in top management at close to 25%. One reason for good numbers on diversity could be that uh, EDI disclosures were made manda mandatory by Corporations Canada. So companies have to focus on, on these issues because they have to report these issues. And Canadian companies are required to report on the representation of four designated groups under the Employment Equity Act, women, indigenous people, visible minorities, and people with disabilities. So I think that leg legislation requires reporting and therefore uh, companies are focusing on results there. Yeah, the, the legislation, we see through the Canadian Reg Tech Association all the time, the legislation drives the action. Um, and, and you're right, like we've seen some very good and strong legislation in the areas of women on boards and, and, and women in leadership and some growth in that diversity angle um, in, in recent years. So it's not surprising that the social is, is looking good. On that note, uh, Donna, uh, I thought, uh, let me also now ask you a little bit about your view on uh, insight on uh, what changes are happening in the Canadian regulatory landscape in relation to ESG and uh, in terms of the short to medium term, what are the key movements do you see in the ESG space in Canada from your vantage point of being there in Canada and with your tech association? Well, I do believe that mandatory reporting is is essential. I think that ESG has a broad impact um, on individuals, society, uh, financial systems. And I think that mandatory reporting is an important step. But um, so in terms of where things are at, I think in June, when we saw the new IS ISSB standards, that was key milestone. So we saw the introduction of their two standards, IFSR S1, which is on the uh, financial disclosure, and then the IF, IFSR 2, which is on the climate-related uh, disclosure. So I think this was, this was a pivotal point. The um, th There is major uh, support internationally for these standards. IOSCO, which is an association of um, securities regulators, um, also supports this. There's on, on IOSCO, there's 131 national regulators, and Canada is a part of it. So I think this is a, a good first step, and ISB's mission is to create that comprehensive global baseline. Um, I think this is very important to simplify and make the reporting more consistent across jurisdictions. Um, but at the end of the day, we still have multiple frameworks. Um, a lot of Canadian companies are still using and will continue probably to use frameworks like SASB, GRI. You know, this is a good step, but where does it go next? I think, like you said previously, um, Canadian standards currently are, disclosures are not mandatory. We'll see, I think everybody's waiting to see what happens with um, the SEC. They've been delayed in bringing out their um, disclosure uh, requirements, um, but they are currently expected in October. So I think that's another key milestone um, because right now the way the ISB and Canada and US, USA are drafting their disclosure standards, there are some inconsistencies. 
So there's mm -hmm. inconsistency around how a scope three admissions, uh, for example, um, so ISSB and the SEC uh, require scope three emission uh, reporting as mandatory, whereas in Canada currently it's just comply or explain. So we'll see if there's some changes there. So I think that's another big um, pivot point is what when the SEC comes out, how much they are in line with ISSB and then how Canada uh, falls into place following that uh, release. And I think the other thing for our members to consider is that some of our members also fall under the EU's CSRD uh, reporting framework. Um, and that is ahead. Um, and so for organizations that that over 150 million, um, they they might have to comply also with that standard. So I think that's another thing for organizations to consider. Of course, they would like them at the same time so they can harmonize their data. Um, but that's not going to be the case right now. I also think that that's a key thing. This the data model is really important. Um, make getting it right, um, having um, consistency, not only in the data across jurisdictions, but how it's reported will be really important for the industry. That's a uh, good set of insights, Donna. And yes, so from, from perspective of our clients, the kind of asset managers that we work with, uh, the move towards a global baseline on property ESG disclosures would certainly be very useful. They are all I'm eagerly waiting for it, uh, and, and particularly for funds investing across geographies, having ESG data that is comparable can be a challenge. Other thing is having ESG data available through XPR, via XPRL reporting, that would be also very useful. You mentioned the US SEC could finally come out with its new set of regulations by October, and uh, I understand uh, one of the changes they want to make is to ask companies to report via XPRL filings. We hope that eventually comes to Canada as well, because that would really simplify data access. Yeah. Like currently, uh, ESG data is being reported in uns unstructured documents. What that does is that increases the cost of data collection and standardization. And uh, XPRL will democratize ESG data and uh, hopefully re reduce costs of complying with ESG for, for the real users, the asset managers. And of course, of course, for the companies as well, it's it probably may be far simpler reporting via XPRL. Because this is also related to another trend that we see in the market that funds are moving towards internal frameworks. Most large funds are dissatisfied with external rating providers. Given the unnecessary, unnecessary complexity that these outfits have created, standardized data available at low cost will be a great boon to funds. They can look at implementing internal frameworks in a much better way. That's we see. We, we think that's one of the changes that will come in the next few years. Uh, greater reliance on internal frameworks and less reliance on external ratings. So to sum up, I think um, my summary down of this would be that there are quite some new developments happening on both uh, corporate and uh, uh, corporate disclosures and fund disclosures and, and, and enabling reg regulation likely to come in US and Canada. I think we can expect data conversion between regulation, convergence between regulation and disclosure, disclosures from both Canadian companies and funds. So looking forward to that. And 
And that's where we come in, right? Because uh, with our association, we really try to focus on the how, like the regular, you know, we can, we can only do so much in guiding how the regulation forms. And there's lots of other good organizations that um, do great advocacy. But at the end of the day, for us, like, we you know, when we we're, we really do, our mandate is to focus on the how and how we can improve that the implementation of it and how we can influence that. And I think like it, it isn't the data part is the big nut to crack. It's, and it's a, it's a, like you said, it's such a big exercise. Um, but I think it behooves everybody to make it easy. Like, because at the end of the day, like, what are, what are we trying to do? We're, we're actually trying to do the right thing in terms of, you know, getting to uh, reduce our emissions, getting to net zero, um, preserve um, society. And so hopefully people can get aligned to doing uh, the right thing and making this an easy implementation and not, uh, repeating mistakes that have happened with other reporting mandates over the over the last few decades that have been overly complicated and very fragmented across jurisdictions. Um, so thank you so much, AJ uh, Janelle, for bringing um, this uh, report to uh, the ecosystem and sharing this data. It's very eye-opening. Um, really, it's been great to have you today. Thank you for being here. And thank you listeners for listening into this. If you're interested in the report, it uh, was in our August newsletter. Um, we will um, put it in as well in September. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Donna.